0: Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. We've heard a lot about social media lately, especially if you're on Twitter. (laughs) If there had been, because people are clapping already, wow. If there had been social media in the first century... I do not think Jesus would have had any accounts at all. I don't think he would have been on Facebook. I don't think he would have been on Instagram. Elon Musk wouldn't let a happen happen hap on Twitter. No Snapchat, no TikTok. Not because any of them are are evil. They're not. They're not inherently evil. But because I think for something greater. Now, uh, there's something about social media that I think is, is unavoidable, and that is it is in so inherently me-centered, isn't it? Have you ever, you ever read something on social media and someone posts something and you think to yourself, there's something else going on there? Anyone ever post a picture and you think, I'm not seeing the whole picture, Right? There's something about it that is very, very self-centered. And some of that isn't bad. You know, I, I, I want to see pictures of your kids. Keep posting pictures of your kids. Post, you know, landscape pictures. But, you know, if you had a good meal, I don't have to see it. You know, if the ice cream sundae was good, God bless you. I don't need to know that necessarily. Sometimes you see stuff and you think, man, that's just all about them, you know? It's just kind of the nature of it, isn't it? It's it's someone shouting, hey, everyone, pay attention to me. It's just the nature of of social media. Someone wrote one time, I love the quote, they said, sharing endless selfies and all the innermost thoughts you have on social media can create an unhealthy self-centeredness, can't it? And distance us from real-life connections. Isn't that true? If we're not careful, it can. That's why I don't think Jesus would have had any part in that because Jesus, when I read through the Bible on earth, he worked really, really hard to keep who he was quiet in most cases. Now that seems kind of counterintuitive. He's the you know the savior of the world, but if you read through the gospels, you'll see a man who was ministering to people and doing amazing things, saying amazing concepts, and yet his desire was that not everyone would know who he was. As you look through the scriptures, you read in places like Matthew chapter eight, verse four, he healed a man who was leprous. His skin was literally falling apart, and Jesus touched the man and healed him and and followed up when saying to this man, now don't tell anyone what I've done. The Bible says in, in Matthew chapter nine, Jesus healed two blind people. And after he healed them, he sternly said to them, now see to it, let no one know about this. Can you imagine being the blind person and you were healed and the reaction from the man that healed you was, now hush, Really? Why was it that Jesus, when he interacted with the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 1, and the demon-possessed man lifted up his voice loudly, possessed by that spirit, and said, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. What caused Jesus to say, be quiet and come out of him? Why did he let himself be be not spread abroad who he really was? I think, oftentimes, as he sought to not draw attention to himself, it's because he was on a mission. And, And the mission was more important than the praise of people. What he was called to do as the Messiah trumped everything else. And he was not going to let anything deter him from what he was called to do. Why? Because we as people have a tendency to raise up people. And before too long, things get in the way of what's going on. And so Jesus would frequently tamp down What was going on? What's interesting, in in Matthew chapter 21 that we read just a moment ago, we see the exact opposite of all those things that I just mentioned. Jesus saying, hush, be quiet, don't tell anyone. Look at Matthew 21 with me again. Start in verse seven. We'll start partly through the, the, the passage. The Bible says they brought the donkey and the colt They put on that donkey and the colt, their coats, and he sat on them. Notice what happened. Most of the crowds spread their coats on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them down on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed after him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And the fact is, City Hills, Jesus didn't stop them. He just let them worship and praise with their, with their, their heart and their soul and their life. Why, why did he do that? He, he allowed worship to start in a way that honored him. I, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm so intrigued that when, when we read from Matthew 21 of this this great praise bursting out and the city being stirred up, we're reading about people who are worshiping Jesus before he ever got to where he was going. It was the custom of Jesus, the Jewish teacher, to go into a city and the first place he would go would be the temple. That's where Jesus was heading. But the Bible tells us in Matthew 21, when they saw him coming through the gates of Jerusalem, they didn't wait for him to get to the temple. They worshiped him right where they were. Let me just say, and maybe I just apply it for us today, don't wait to worship Jesus. We come to church at City Hills, and we, we kind of know the order of service typically, right? We, most churches have a typical order. We do too at City Hills. We know that the worship team is going to lead us in worship, and we're going to worship God, and many of us are going to lift our hands and lift our voices. But the fact is, worship was never meant to be location-specific, ever, because it's not about the location. It's about the object of our worship, and the object of our worship is with us all the time. How about we pre-plan our worship in our life? I love when we can worship God at times that make no sense whatsoever. Years ago, probably almost 25 years ago, my wife and I we were living in St. Louis at the time, and things were tough. We'd gone through a season where it was just tough. We we had two dimes to our name, just about, and it was just rough. We walk into our, our home there, and you know, we're just struggling along, newly married couple. And, and, and I remember one night specifically, I, I began to, Pastor said it a moment ago, you start to get blue about things. and one, It's a feedback loop, right? It just keeps on one thing after the other. Before too long, you're just kind of, I'm, I'm terrible, life's awful. You know, you ever been there before? And I remember I was in my, my, my dining room. We had a big dining room because we had no dining room table. And I was standing in my dining room, and I'm thinking the whole day about all this stuff that was wrong. <laughs> and my wife was out of the house doing something. It's just me. And I was just really frustrated and down. And the more I thought about it, the more frustrated and down I got. And I'm standing there in the dining room, and it seemed like out of the blue. It wasn't kind of hocus-pocus stuff. It was just seemed out of the blue. In the back little region of my brain and my heart, it was as, as if Jesus just went, Todd, I'm here. I'm with you. Jesus getting in the way. My life's awful. I don't know why I'm doing this, but. And the more I thought about it, I thought, yeah, he is with me. He's not gone anywhere. My life's kind of bad right now, but he, he's still with me. The next thought I had was, Yeah. He is with me. Then the next thought was, yeah, he is with me. The next thought was, you better believe it. Jesus is with me. And then I decided in the midst of this cavernous dining room to worship God in a dance. Woo, yeah. Yeah. And I can dance, let me tell you. (laughs) If you believe that, you need something fixed. And so right there in the dining room, Pastor, no music, Brody wasn't around, no worship singers, no sound equipment, just a kid in the dining room feeling bad, but feeling better. And you know what started to happen? He is with me. He is with me. He There's something about worship when it doesn't make sense. You don't wait to the temple. You say, Jesus is in my midst. He's with me. I'm going to worship him right now. Don't wait for him to come in the city. Blessed is the King of Kings. Worship him right now. They didn't wait. Before they even got to the temple, they worshiped loudly. Loud worship, the Bible says. Luke chapter 19, a different version of that same narrative, says when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They worship God. They welcomed Jesus into their presence. There's something beautiful about whatever we do in life, making that a point of worship where we welcome him into where we are. Sometimes we get it all backward. I do. I, I, PM, do you have the service schedule anywhere nearby? Is it hanging out somewhere? Now, I got to tell you something, everybody. I, I know we met maybe a time or two back in January and again today. Service schedules here at City Hills look like this. I got to tell you something. I love service schedules. You know Why? Because I love to know that I started preaching at 11.06. <laughs> not 11.07. <laughs> 11.06. And I'm not making fun. PM knows this is true. That's the way I'm wired. I want to know exactly when stuff is supposed to happen. I want to know exactly when things are going to occur. I love service schedules, and I'm just wired that way. I got to know when I need to do something, and at that time, I'm going to do it. I was reminded of this many years ago, 2018. There was a, a terrible uh, occurrence in Pittsburgh, a synagogue, a terrible shooting in the synagogue. You may remember that. And In Baltimore, there's a large, large synagogue in our area, and so as a, a pastor of a Christian church, I decided to reach out to that synagogue in Baltimore, and they were having a memorial service for, to remember the victims of this Pittsburgh shooting. And so I called the, the, the synagogue, and I, I explained who I was. I said, I'd like to come to your memorial service just to support your community, let you know we're thinking about you. I know it's tough right now. The secretary said, sure, come on. She gave us directions, and so we, my wife and I got in the car. We drove to the synagogue that night, and there were hundreds of cars and probably a 1,000 or 1,500 people in this huge synagogue, and so we made our way in the lobby and someone met us there and I explained who I was. And she said, Oh, yeah, we're glad to have you. There are some other members of the clergy here. She said, Come here, I want you to meet the rabbi. And we met them, the head rabbi. He said, I'm so glad to meet you. Thank you for coming. It means a lot that you'd be here. And he said, This is what we're gonna do at the end of the service. I'm gonna call all the clergy up at the end of the service, and we're just gonna pray in closing. All of the, regardless of faith tradition, all of the clergy. I said, Fine. He said, no, you'll know it's that time when I say, we'd like to welcome all of our guests. When you hear that, that's your time. And I thought to myself, yes, now I know. So I sat down with my wife in this huge syn- synagogue, and the service began. It was very unfamiliar to us, Jewish synagogue service, and they, they sang songs that I didn't know, and I, I tried to do the best I could to sing when I could, and they read in Hebrew. I didn't know Hebrew, but you try to, you know, politely just kind of follow along. It was just an amazing experience, really. And the whole time, as it's getting further and further in the service, I, I kept, you know, poking my wife. You think it's time yet? No. He said, when you hear guests, Todd, be quiet. Okay. Next part goes by. Someone got up and sang a song. Another reading. You think we're coming up next? Hush. When he says guests, be quiet. Finally, after what seemed like a long time, the rabbi took the podium again. And he began what he was saying at that moment by saying uh, this, he said, we know we have many guests here tonight. And as soon as I heard the G word, I stood up, I looked up and I said, that's me. I stood out, walked out from the row, started down the aisle. Now, mind you, this is a long aisle, long aisle. As I start walking down the aisle, I hear the rabbi complete that sentence that he just began. We understand we have many, many guests here tonight from Pittsburgh. We'd like you to come to the platform. We want to bless you. I'm from Chicago. And then I had a choice to make. Do I stop? Do I turn around? Or do I just go with it? I decided to go with it. I kept on walking down the aisle, all the way to the front. I get to the front, and I see the other five or six, not 25, clergy, five or six Pittsburgh residents. I see them coming up to the platform, carrying a prayer book. I didn't have a prayer book. A man had pity on me and he handed me a prayer book. I grabbed it as if I knew what I was doing. Thank you, thank you. We walked up on the platform like this. Huge congregation, six of us, five Pittsburgh, one Chicago. And I'm thinking, my thought bubble is saying, what am I doing here? The rabbi continues, we're gonna pray a blessing over these folks from Pittsburgh. Congregation, would you, as we turn and face the cabinet here, would you pray this blessing and repeat after me? We on the platform turned to the cabinet. As we turned to the cabinet, they opened up two doors, and in the doors was the Torah in the synagogue. If you know anything about a synagogue Torah, you know that is the, the very pinnacle of the of the synagogue. And the congregation blessed us as we spoke and said and looked at the Torah. And it was that night that I became Jewish. (laughs) That's what I thought. I'm not sure what just happened, but I think I'm Jewish now. I was so fixated on the time of what was happening, I totally blew it. I got done. I thanked the people for the blessing, gave the man back my prayer book. Now walked back that long aisle back to where my wife was. She's just sitting there. (laughs) I sat down and immediately the next thing was, we have so many guests of the clergy here tonight, we want them all to come to the platform. Here we go again. People like me, none of you are like this, but people like me can get so consumed with what happens, when it happens, and nothing's gonna deter us from that place. Listen to me, worship doesn't work that way. Worship is meant to do whenever Jesus walks into our life. We say it may be church. It may not be church. We may be at City Hills. We may not be at City Hills. We may be at Van Rob. We may be at the new building, but that doesn't matter. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and I want to say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Don't wait to worship. Worship him, regardless of what time it is. Praise God. It's not time-specific. Worship is meant just simply because Jesus is there. Matthew chapter 21 tells us they, they didn't wait. They just worshipped him as he went into Jerusalem. But, but even before that happened, the Bible says that Jesus had told his followers to do something specific. He gathered them together, and he said, I want you to go into the city in front of you, and immediately when you go in there, you're going to find a a donkey and a colt. I want you to untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And so the Bible says the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Now notice, Jesus told his followers to do something specific, and they did something specific. Specific. Now, notice also with me that Jesus was in complete control over what he gave his disciples charge to do. There was never a moment that Jesus winged it. I think maybe you might find a cult there. If you do, no, he said you're going to find a cult. Jesus had complete control. Why? Because he's God. Right. Amen. That same one that we worship all the time, at all times that's jesus he's the savior of the world he knows all things and jesus told them where to go he told them what to do and to say and then he provided the resources to accomplish the mission he had given them let me preach just a second to city hills listen we are in a moment in our congregation's history that is absolutely thrilling I've pastored too. I know when you get to a place where you're hanging drywall, and you're sweeping floors, and you're writing prayers on. I feel the Holy Spirit here right now. When well, you're writing prayers on the joists of the of the doors, and you're getting a building that used to not be there five years ago, and now it's going to be your home, and you're going to worship, and you're not going to have to set up and tear down anymore. I, I know when you, when you talk about that, God wants us to do what he says to do. And when he says it's time to go into the city, it's just time to untie the colt, untie the donkey, bring them to Jesus. Why? Because he gives us the resources to accomplish the mission. I love, I love when I read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that, that Moses was, was getting ready to finish the sanctuary, the synagogue for God, the, the place of resting of his spirit. And the Bible says that Moses turned to some folks and he said, I want every craftsman, this is Exodus 36, verse one, every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, I want you to work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded you. And so Moses called them, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. Verse 3, And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They Still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. Verse 4. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came. Each from the task that he was doing. Hang with me. Verse 5. And said to Moses. This is what the craftsmen are now saying to Moses. The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord had commanded us to do. So Moses got his microphone, stood up and said this to the people, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. In other words, we got too much help. Stop. Stop bringing what you're bringing. Listen. Next Sunday, Pastor Mitch is gonna let us know what the days ahead look like for the building. Praise God. I'm so thrilled about that. That makes me jump up and down on the inside. And when he does, I guarantee you, he didn't ask me to say this. He didn't know I was going to preach this. I guarantee you, though, if you bring too much, he'll tell you. He'll say, stop. He probably won't, right? Just keep on bringing everything you can do to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I may not have much, but I can do this. I can push a broom, (laughs) I can paint a wall, I can make sure the kids' place is set up, I can sweep the, the the place on the outside by the front. I can do anything I can. You may be skilled. There are some craftsmen. There are some skilled people in City Hills. I know you're here, and you have leverage in what you can do. I know God's going to bless you as you just say, God, you gave us a job to do, and you put people in our congregation. They may do little or much, but we're just going to pull it all together, and we're going to do what you called us to do because you called us to do something, and you gave us the resources to do it. They did what Jesus said. I, I was reminded of this in between services. Is, is Gentry in here? I'm going to put her on the spot. She may be back in the Dream Team room. Gentry is the young woman that, that sang right here. You all know Gentry, right? Yeah, she sang right here. I, I, I love the energy of City Hills worship team, don't you? Isn't that awesome? It makes you just want to jump up and down. And I love watching Gentry, too. She's over here. She's giving it all she can. Ooh. You know what Gentry told me during the the middle of the two services? She came up so kind. She said, hi, my name's Gentry. I said, hi, my name's Todd. I said, thank you for leading us in worship. You know what she said? She said, today's my first time. What's Gentry doing? She's over in her little amen corner. I've got a skill. I'm going to use it for Jesus. I'm going to worship him. He's called me to do something. He's given me the ability to do it. I may do it once or twice or a million times. I'm just going to do it. So when you see Gentry, tell her good job. Whatever you got to do, just do it. The Bible tells us in Matthew 21, it was about worship It was about the work that God had called them to do, and they did it. But then it was about the question. And of all the things, this is the primary one in Matthew 21. The people that watched Jesus enter into Jerusalem, they heard the worship. It was loud. They saw the disciples coming back with the donkey and the colt. They saw the palm branches being waved, placed on the ground along with the coats. They saw all that. And perhaps one of the greatest understatements in the Bible, the Bible says the whole city was stirred up. All of Bernie was stirred up. And Jerusalem being stirred up said this. Here's the question. Who is this? Who in the world is this? They didn't know. All they know is a praise party broke out and here comes a donkey and a colt and people bringing this guy in on a colt. Who is this? Let me suggest to us, City Hills that the way we answer that question is probably the most important thing we can do in our life. I know I, I, it's easy to, you know, to overstate, but let me just say this. There is no more important question than who is this? Because the way we answer that tells us what we think about Jesus Christ. It shouldn't surprise us in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul, now years removed from Matthew 21, is speaking to a church of believers in Rome. And he mentions this in verse 8. The message is very close at hand It's on our lips, and it's in your heart. And then he identifies what he's talking about. He says, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. What do you mean faith? Just generic faith? No. Faith in an object. But more importantly, faith in a person. Paul says the message that we preach is the very message of faith in Jesus. Trust that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He goes on to say, if you confess with your mouth, (laughs) that involves saying something. What? Confess what? That Jesus is Lord and You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Here's what's going to happen. You will be saved. You'll be brought near to God. Your past, your sin will no longer be held against you. When you say, I believe, that's who he is, the savior of my life. When you say, I confess that he, he really did rise from dead. That's the moment, that's the transaction when the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all of your past and you become a new man or woman. So the question, who is this, is answered by believers who say, I just believe he is who he said he was. The guy that came into the city the guy that people were responding to what he had told them to do I just simply believe Jesus is who he said he was the savior I gotta be honest I used to make it a lot more complicated I I used to think there were lots of clauses and things and to-dos and and before too long if you do that enough it becomes less about the man than it becomes about the other stuff right right but i remember the day and the week and the year when i would read things like romans and it became very crystal clear to me that jesus is simply the savior i'm not I've got a sinful past, and so I come to him, and I tell him that. I'm I'm a mess, but I believe you're the answer to my mess, and the Bible tells me when I make that statement, and I make that confession, Jesus looks down, and he makes me Who is this? Acts 4 says there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. John 20 says these things are written, John's gospel, these things are written that you may believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Matthew 16, Jesus came into this district of Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some said, you're John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? All the city was stirred up. Who is this? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Stand together, everybody. I believe in a doctor when I put my case into her hands and I trust her to help me. I believe in a lawyer when I leave my case in his hands and I trust for him to advocate and plead for me. I believe in a banker when I put money into her hands and allow her to keep it on my behalf. In City Hills, I believe in a savior when I take him to be my savior. And I take my past. I forsake it. I bring it to him. And I said, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're the only hope for me, your life. And when we do that, we're made right. I know the answer, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Is there anybody here, you found one day the simplicity of what it means to be saved by Jesus Christ. Raise your hand, come on, show, show, show your hands. That day you said, Jesus, it's not about me any longer, it's about you. Who are you? You're the savior. If you're here today and you've never, never made that confession, you've never made that belief real, No one's going to force you to do something, but I do know the Holy Spirit. He will help us to feel convicted about our past. That's nothing bad. That's the love of God. He's helping us to see that our past isn't what's going to save us. When you feel that in your heart, don't shy away from that. Recognize that's the Holy Spirit leading us to godly sorrow, which leads to repentance so we can turn from that past and turn to Jesus Christ. I want you to bow with me, everybody. Close your eyes with me, if you would. Just bow your head. Lord, I just am asking this morning that you would help us to answer this question, believing that you are who you said you are, that truly you're the Savior of the world. You gave your life and you rose again so that we in this moment of our life, all these centuries later, could lift up our voice and say, I believe, I confess. So God, we're not trying to manipulate anybody. We're not trying to make it weird. We're just simply offering opportunity. And as we do that, Lord, I pray many hearts here who don't know you yet will come to faith in Jesus Christ and answer the question by confessing that you are our Savior. I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit CityHillsTX.com right now. And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.